Movies and Booze on Moncrief on News Talk. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You can follow us on Twitter or send us an email to afternoon at newstalk.com. It is indeed uh, time for Movies and Booze. We are joined once again by Linda Coogan, Fanula Jones and Esther McCarthy. Good afternoon to you all. Hi guys. Hi Good afternoon. They're all coming in loud and clear. That's fantastic. Our hashtag, uh, as I mentioned earlier on, is back crack and sack movies. <laughs> Uh, look who's walking funny Angela's rashes that doesn't really work and big stubble in mangina uh, it's a, there's a huge <laughs> amount of entries for us uh, today the vast majority of which I won't be able to read out on air so uh, Linda what are two ones we're going to be talking about today Ooh, two absolutely cracking wines that I adore so we have um, there's something in common with these two wines the first one is a rosé um, from France and the second one is a red from Spain but they've got two things in common which we will explore later okay, on Okay you're being very mysterious yes. the, the bottle on the rosé is very unusual Yeah it's a frosted uh kind of tapered bottle and it's absolutely gorgeous I mean sometimes you think oh these gimmicky kind of bottles and stuff what's the juice going to be like inside but this completely delivers and it comes in a magnum format as well very impressive when you're going Ah, to a dinner party and stuff so yeah okay and but the shape of the bottle and it's kind of curved with a kind of a a, A a longer neck neck and a glass uh, glass closure as well oh that's so wow Oh, so you'd, you'd, you'd kind of keep that for yeah. other things afterwards. For nice jugs of water and stuff like yeah. that, yeah. Okay, well, that's good. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's very good. Uh, right, uh, and so, Esther, one is a, a French film no one will understand uh, or, or uh, just pretend they've watched. Uh, what everybody wants to know about is Nicolas Cage. Uh, look, it's just, it's brilliant. This It's so funny. Um, it's kind of Nicolas Cage playing Nicolas Cage in the most Nicolas Cage movie ever. Uh, so it's super meta. Um, it's called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And he is um, brilliant in it. He is both mocking himself and reminding us what a, a great career he has had to celebrate, however you feel about him. I think everyone has a view on him, an opinion on, of him. Um, I've always been a bit ambivalent. Uh, I am revisiting that big time at the moment because I adored this film. I thought it was really funny. Um, before, when I was younger, I used to think he was the guy you would cast if you were looking for somebody to act bewildered. Um, and I think I have definitely underestimated him in that regard. Because uh, mm. I've always tried to square off the fact that I did have mixed feelings about him with the fact that he's in one of my favourite movies of all time, Sean, which is um, Spike Jones's brilliant adaptation uh, written by Charlie Kaufman, of course, in which he plays two versions of Kaufman's character trying to adopt uh, adapt a novel. Mm. One of my absolute favourites and very meta as well, of course. So um, I have decided, I think, in my middle age that I'm a big Nicolas Cage fan. OK, congratulations. Uh, though, hasn't he been doing those kinds of... Like, you know, that one he did a couple of years ago where uh, it was like a revenge thriller, but it was his, somebody kidnapped his pet pig uh, and, uh, and then he goes on a murderous rampage to get the pig back. I've been just watching that. Yeah, only you can <laughs> only did, find Nicolas Cage in a movie like that. He did a brilliant... Um, I, I, he's he's uh, he's such a nuanced kind of character. Like he did a brilliant. Ooh, um, hello, nuanced <laughs> for, for all the craziness. He's very thoughtful. He did this online thing, Q and A thing, and I had to read through some of the answers last week. And there was, I mean, the guy couldn't do a soundbite 
if you tried you yeah. know there was thought in every answer and he's he, I thought it was really interesting the three films that he's most proud of are Pig mm-hmm. uh, which I'm halfway through and I can tell you it's not going to end well for that guy who robbed his pig <laughs> and um, Bringing Out the Dead which was uh, Martin Scorsese's great film of course and Leaving Las Vegas the film which oh, won yeah. Um, an Oscar, a Best Actor Oscar. So it was interesting to see the three of those and kind of revisit all of the stuff he's been doing. But like, this is a complete, like he's playing like a washed out actor by the name of Nicholas Cage, who's lost all his money. Oh, right. So this is auto fiction on film then. Oh, my oh, God. Like yeah. he has to take on these terrible straight to video on demand um kind of roles to make ends meet because he squandered all his money and it's actually all fact even though it's it's fiction so <laughs> what I was wondering then was is that going to be able to sustain itself no, or is it going yeah. to become so meta it's not even a movie anymore and I think that's the little genius stroke in this it does wobble a little at times in the second hour mainly because it's too long but what this is is like a brilliant um, celebration slash slagging off of Nicolas Cage but also a really entertaining movie, uh, kind of a buddy bromance in its own right. And interestingly, I think he turned it down when he was offered it first. Oh, God, who uh, were they going to offer the role of Nicolas Cage to then after that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Brad so Pitt I, is I Nicolas Cage. Loved, I would have loved to have been at the first meeting where they tried to sell this to him. But by gosh, does he embrace it in the film, I yeah. have to say. Oh, great. But they do, I understand, like there are really, really committed fans of Nicolas Cage and they have weekend festivals of Nicolas Cage films and they watch everything and discuss it. And to a degree that most other actors don't have... Uh, that level of fandom, uh, it's quite strange, uh, really. Yes, totally, yeah. totally. And they're going to have such a good time with the references in the in this film, half of which I, I'm sure I missed. Yeah. But there were so many, you know, they're going to have such a good time with that. Right. And Happening, a, a, a French film. Happening is um, not meta. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a tough watch, this. I'm going to have to flag this to people. It's um, a, a much talked about and lauded and awarded um, French film. Uh, won the acclaimed Golden Lion Award at Venice uh, last year, prob- which is arguably probably second only to to Cannes and and, and the Golden, um, the Berlin Award. You know, in terms of plaudit, um, it's a really really big nod to get that. And a young actress by the name of Anna Maria Vartoloni, who's absolutely brilliant in this, reminded me of young Marion Cotillard. Um, and in a story about a woman in the, in the early 1960s who becomes pregnant in France um, at a time that, like in many other countries, it's strictly banned and it's not, not even something you, you know, suggest the word uh, abortion to, to a GP. Uh, it's just not happening. So she is kind of torn between that um, pregnancy and wanting to... She's from a working class household and she is in um, a city college with a view to taking on a university course to better her life. So she faces a lot of dilemmas and a lot of um, difficult decisions. Right. OK. And OK, Fanula, uh, let's run through the release date changes and the like for many productions, uh, many of which I haven't even heard of before. So off you go. Yes. So Sony have released their calendar for 2023 and 2024. Uh, we were expecting the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse this year in October, but that's been pushed out to 2023. That's the animated one. Have you seen it? Very, yeah, very yeah. Good. It is very good. Not, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
comic Marvel Spider-Man person so I'm pretty sure it's still on Netflix so go watch it if you haven't um, and the sequel to that then uh, that's out 2024 so March 29th Madame Webb which I'm pretty sure I talked about in a segment before with regards to Dakota Johnson being cast as Madame Webb she's like a clairvoyant can see into the spider world is like kind of bed bound I get, I've never heard of her character but seems very spider interesting spider world? Where all the Spider-Men live, you know? <laughs> oh, right. So this is connected to the Spider-Verse Yeah, thing. yeah. So right. they'll probably, that's probably why there's been delay. They're probably going to connect them in some way. Uh, Sydney Sweeney was just cast recently okay. as well. We don't know much but about her is character. Is the Madam Web one, is that animated the same way the Spider-Verse one is? No, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it's live action. Okay. So but she's going to be looking into the Spider-Verse and going... Hang on, everyone's drawn here. What's going <laughs> what's, on? What's going on here? But some of them will be drawn. Maybe some of them won't be. That's what they're really trying to dip into the whole like multi who framed Roger Rabbit kind of style of film. But anyway, um, that is coming. I think that's actually coming this year. Sorry, so that's July 7th, 2023. We can expect Madame Webb. And as I said, Sydney Sweeney is going to be in it as well. Um, and then we also have the Equalizer 3, which is obviously Denzel Washington's action oh, franchise. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is coming later this year, September 1st. So that'll be very exciting for right. people okay. who are into him into action people getting beat up and killed as usual so I don't know was Equalizer 2 much of a hit really I don't think Linda so Linda is just sneering derisively at it I don't know there's clearly some amount of appetite there if they're making a third or else it's just pure vanity Denzel's on Denzel's that's project that's kind of it I think yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. ah that's probably it yeah, yeah. And he's 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 the yeah, and he's nice. He's equalising. Yeah, he's equalising. Yeah, really Okay, right. Let's move on to our first uh, wine of the day, Linda. Okay, well, you all have a lovely glass right. of this delicious rosé. Uh, so it's very pale uh, salmon in colour, really, and um, on the nose, really delicate fruit, but gorgeous mm, yeah. st- strawberry bursting from it. Um, Oh, I love this wine. Um, so basically, the, what these two wines have in common is that they are both made from the same grape, uh, Grenache. Uh, so Grenache in France and Garnacha in Spain. Um, and it's also known as Cananao in Italy. So it's a bit confusing. But basically, this rosé, it's just so, uh, it's a blend. So there's Grenache Gris, Grenache Noir and a bit of Mavedra as well. So it's just really, really easy to drink. Um, and gorgeous strawberry and a little bit of white peach on the on the palate as well. I, I just this is my rosé in the house all year round. I don't think rosé is just for you know summer time yeah, and so spring. It's so juicy, but it's not too yeah, sweet. but it's not it sweet. It's a dry style, but it just has those gorgeous flavours. Yeah. So sometimes when you see the colour, you think it's going to be watery or like yeah. insipid, but it's not. There's gorgeous, gorgeous flavours. And um, also, sorry to interrupt you, yeah. Linda, but like that's not that cold no. which is I would think exactly the right way to drink it sometimes people murder wines by keep putting them in the freezer mm. first and then in the fridge and then you can't really taste it. you anything. see this is ideal now because the aromas really come out now if you mm. chill uh, wine completely you're losing all the aromas so yeah. if you've got a cheap bottle that's what you do to <laughs> make it drinkable <laughs> but um, no this is gorgeous and it goes with so many things just completely on its own um, picnic time a teriyaki salmon, like just quiche, everything. It's just delicious. 12.5%. Um, it's called uh, Famille Lafage uh, Miraflor, which is named after the town. And um, the winemaker is Jean, uh, Jean-Marc Jean Lafage. That's the second uh, thing that the wines have in common because he consults for the second one. Ah, right. Okay. So he's, uh, and how much is a bottle of this? Uh, it'll set you back nineteen ninety five, okay. which is, and some shops have it for um, sixteen ninety five. But the Magnum as well, as I said, it's a, I know, it's that's a, a good showstopper. One. Plus the bottle 
is a reusable, has a stopper. That's, yeah. that's such a clever idea. Yeah, it's so glam. I just Isn't can't it? imagine on my trolley now. Yeah. Just... yeah, and what's the ABV on that? 12 and a half. 12 and a half, so yeah. that's just right yeah. as well. Perfect. Yeah. Because Grenache can be quite a, you know, high alcoholic grape. Because um, yeah. this Avogia in previous vintages has been 15%. So you kind of, there's a warning. But this is uh, the, the red, we'll get onto that in a while. But um. Yeah, it's only 14 and a half. Well, yeah. not only, but. <laughs> <laughs> not only, but yoo-hoo! Uh, a couple of texts already in complaining, Esther, about things you haven't said yet. Uh, one texter says, saying a movie is too long is as pointless as saying the same about a book. You don't know how it would have been, uh, uh, how it would have been of it was shorter because it isn't. Yeah, the, yeah that, the end of that sentence okay. ran out a bit towards the end. But uh, I think what he, uh, you know, it, I, when you finish a film, you go, hang on, that last half hour where they're just beating the tar out of each other. We didn't need that. One of them could have just keeled over from a heart attack. Boom, end of movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not just the running time in itself. It's whether this, I suppose, what my point is, is whether the story sustains and justifies a running time. Yeah. Um, like... For like the Martian, Ridley Scott's film is nearly three hours long, and there isn't a you know there isn't a flabby minute in it. Um, the Batman, which is on demand actually, if you missed it in the cinemas from this weekend, um, one of the great superhero movies of the last ten years, five minutes short of uh, three hours, and I didn't want it to end. Crikey! When when you're there twiddling your thumbs because something is. Be, being two hours for the sake of it that's where I get a bit impatient with storytelling then you know that's my my point I suppose right. rather than the mere running time and somebody wants to know have you seen the uh, the Northman I haven't seen the Northman yet but I'm really excited to see it it's um, a guy by the name of Robert Eagers it was filmed up in the north um, Antrim coast in Ireland actually up in the north of Ireland um, doubling for uh, uh, one of the Nordic countries and uh, yeah, it's supposed to be really brilliant. He, he's the guy who last made The Lighthouse. Do you remember that mad film with mm. William Defoe and Robert Pattinson? Uh, so you are getting, I think, a blockbuster for from Eagers for the first time. But what I heard, it's anything but a conventional blockbuster. Oh, right. OK, fair enough then. Uh, have you seen it? Fnale? I haven't. I've yeah. heard great things, supposedly, obviously, extremely violent and extremely gory. I know a lot of people who to watch like nice, fluffy things after, <laughs> but still thought it was good. But just maybe something to bear in mind if you're going to see it. Right. OK, so um, Esther, we're, we're going to do Nicholas first, are we? Oh, yeah, yeah. totally. OK, yeah. OK. The, uh, the unbearable weight of Nicholas Cage's talent coming up after this. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. Thank you. Can you just stop stalling and answer the question? What is your third favorite movie of all time? Paddington 2. What? Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Paddington 2. Connect those dots. I mean, I don't want to be a snob, but... I cried through the entire thing and made me want to be a better man. Bullshit, Mom! Heading into is incredible. I f- told you. Uh, S. McCarthy's favourite film is also Paddington 2, uh, thus rendering the review you're just about to hear completely redundant. Anyway, try and convince us, Esther. I mean, I, I already loved this before the Paddington 2 joke, and then it just, you know, crowned the whole thing for me. I had such fun with this. Um, 
Nicolas Cage fans are going to love it for another reason. Uh, and the, the reason's a good one. The meta stuff is mad. Uh, but I loved this mostly as a, you know, a buddy bromance um, that is almost a love letter to action movies and Hollywood and mainstream movies in itself as much as it is uh, for Nicolas Cage. And I think what um, you needed here, he needed a great sparring buddy and he's got it in Pedro Pascal, uh, who I'd love to see doing more comedy, please. He is absolutely gas in this. Um, he's a super fan, Pascal. He's a Nicolas Cage super fan and he's offered uh, Cage's agent, who's played by Neil Patrick Harris, um, a million quid for Cage to come and attend his birthday party where he lives in Spain. Um, people, celebrities get offers like this all the time and they mm. usually turn them down. But Cage has been boosted because of his lavish spending which is really funny because like he's lost in real life. I don't even know what real life is, but Nicolas Cage's real life, he's lost like uh, his 150 million fortune and has had to do loads of straight video. And how did he um, lose? Was it, was it gambling? I mean, no, kind of lavish spending. I okay. think um, he bought mad stuff, mad works. There's a brilliant interview actually in GQ with him this month, which I'll share on Twitter about the, the spending. And it's really funny. He's got a talking pet crow as well, by the way. And that's probably the least. Now, this is thing. in the movie. No, in, okay. in real life. <laughs> He's got a talking pet crow and it's probably the least crazy thing in that interview. But anyway, in the movie, um, he's this kind of washed up star. We see him frantically trying to um, audition in the car park of a posh L.A. restaurant to um, a director who's just trying to get away from him, frankly, because his audition is so over the top. And uh, so he's already sending himself up in the very first scene. You know, he doesn't get the part. And he's just kind of going, what am I going to do here? I'm going to give up my entire career. Um, I just can't do it anymore. And gets this cash offer. And Patrick Harris basically convinces him, you know, off you go to Spain on a sun holiday, get your head straight and, uh, you know, go to this guy's birthday. And it turns out, so this is where you're going. Where is this starting to become like a reference to all of his films? And where, where is this a film, a film in itself? And that's what I really liked about it, because it turns out in what sounds like an absolute mainstream blockbuster um, that Pascal's character, uh, Guterres, mightn't be a legitimate wealthy businessman at all. But this dodgy, powerful uh, crook with links to international gangs. Right. Okay. He's being investigated by a team led by um, Tiffany Haddish's uh, CIA operative, Vivian. So you're already going, is this a film within a film now or what's happening? Um, she spots C Cage in the airport. Um, she's a big fangirl, screams at one stage. He was brilliant in Crudes too, And uh, she, uh, the unwitting <laughs> Cage then is kind of recruited. She goes over and says hello to him sticks a little bug on his uh, shoulder and he's unwittingly becoming a spy, a CIA spy uh, and, and, and pushed to live up to his, I suppose, own legendary leading man status in real life in investigating this guy, Pascal, who we start to form this really lovely body relationship with. So you're kind of going, oh, I hope he doesn't shop him, you know, so all that. At one stage, um, he poses in a tux, uh, you know, after pulling off a CIA operation in front of the mirror 
and says to himself, I wish I had done more roles like this. You know, so it's fantastically meta. Uh, he's got an imaginary friend who nobody else can see, who's Nicky, uh, who's a bit of an egomaniac and um, who screams at him, you're Nicolas Cage and stuff like that, you know, to kind of psych him up uh, because he's actually quite a gentle soul. Uh, it's it's just so much. I mean, Sean, if you're tittering at bits of that, like the detail and the richness and the detail and the madness of all this and the fallmoutedness of it, it's very... Um, silly, really, and very puerile and daft in places and uh, very self-referential in, in, in all sorts of clever ways, but mostly here to make you happy uh, and for entertainment value. And I think it's really the film we need right now, you know. Right, okay. Um, now, but say it, for, because and, and uh, Linda mentioned this, sorry, drop me in it, Linda, but, but Linda said, I can't stand Nicolas Cage and she's, I'm sure she's not alone in that idea for people who mightn't, you know, or who might only dimly remember when Nicolas Cage was in inverted commas good. Uh, what's going to draw them in? I always found his intonation used to drive me mad. Yeah. And it's kind of that bewilderment thing. There's one scene where he's driving in a freeway at the very start of the film and he lets out this big grunt, kind of loud Nicolas Cage and pulls this crazy face and then goes back to resting driving car face and you realise, oh, my God, have I gotten this wrong all along? Is this man an actual comic genius? Um, and I just do. I think, you know, the, the, you know, unconvinced will remain unconvinced, I guess. But I, as I said at the start, I think this works very, very well as a body action comedy as well. Unless you absolutely can't bear to even watch Nicolas Cage in anything, in which case then maybe it's not for you, you know. But I thought there was a heap of fun to be had here. Um, he's allowed, I think the director, Tom Gormican, tries to sustain the chaos and the wheels come off occasionally in the second hour. And to be honest with you, that's when I was having most fun with it because if it's it's when the film, ironically, is the most unhinged, uh, when Pedro Pascal and Nicolas Cage get to riff and and they're almost competing with each other, I'm sure it's all very good direction rather than um, improvisation, but it looks very improvised. It looks very uh, hard and fast, and I really enjoyed for that. They just have a great chemistry on screen together. Um, he's encouraged to indulge his own acting style, I suppose. And uh, yeah, it's a film, I think, it pokes fun at him. There is no doubt about that and, and, and manages to wildly celebrate his career at the same time and I just think it's very original for that and I think as a meta film it's very clever deceptively so actually because it's hard to pull off this kind of stuff and get it right without feeling like a lot of meta stuff can be quite intellectual I suppose Mm. so to have it just done in the spirit of fun rather than people going oh am I such a clever filmmaker oh look at me this is just done for entertainment Uh, loads of action scenes in it some kind of mad ones and yeah it's uh it's really good. This I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, a fair few people are texting and saying, what does meta mean? Do you want to take this, <laughs> Professor? <laughs> so, self-referential, I yeah, guess, is exactly. the easiest way to describe yeah. it, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. very it's very self-aware of what it's doing and it's letting you know it's self-aware and it refers yeah. to itself as this does uh, quite a lot. Um, in in uh, Actually, in fiction, there's a whole thing called autofiction where the main character in a book is has the same name as the author of the book. That happens, and that's uh, similarly quite uh, meta. Linda, are you tempted? Yeah, no, I think, Esther, you've convinced me a little bit. Now, I did mm-hmm. like The Family Man that he did, like in the 90s, where he one day woke up and he, he was a businessman and he woke up as a family man. I enjoyed that. And, of course, I'm going to make an attempt in this. 
Put the bunny back in the box. Classic. Like I mean, brilliant, brilliant movie. Yeah. I mean, um, he that's a gift. That's out. totally a gift. That's going to be all over Twitter before you're out of the studio, Mrs. Um, but uh, it sounds like a bit like being John Malkovich. You know that movie? Like yes, it's a bit yeah. weird. Like you know. Yeah. And again, he'd be an actor that he's amazing. But I wouldn't run out and watch his movies. But I definitely think this because of the comic element I sure, definitely yeah. give it a go yeah, how many other sounds... actors would do it as well though you know like I think there's a lot of people who would have too much of an ego to mm-hmm. put themselves in this position well, that's, where that's like... why it's even more meta he probably did it because he needed the money yeah that's true like... <laughs> the million, true. million yeah. dollars where can people see this Esther more importantly this is in cinemas yeah this is a cinema release from today <laughs> I mean I have to leave my house that's so annoying <laughs> uh, okay it's in cinemas uh, from today and uh, the hashtag by the way is back crack and sack movies how clean are my valleys uh, being one of the more um, presentable examples. Uh, right, the Tony, the Tony Awards now have a policy about violence. Had there been a, a big problem at the Tony Awards with, you know, loveys beating the tar out yeah, of each other? The musical theatre awards. Uh, yeah, when I saw this story, I was like, oh, like, it's not that they're enacting a new policy. It's just that whatever they're talking about in the wake of Will Smith at the Oscars, obviously, him slapping Chris Rock. But no, no, they just had no policy for if this happened. So uh, the production team sent out a letter to possible ticket buyers for this year's ceremony. And in the FAQ portion of the letter, they basically, uh, clearly there was a question where it was like, what happens if someone gets up and slaps one of the hosts? (laughs) And they basically just said, look, we have a strict no violence policy. In the event of an incident, the perpetrator will be removed from the event immediately. Um, It's kind of, I think, I think it's significant because it's the first known major award show to publicly institute a non-violence policy following the Oscars. So, yeah. Yeah. Not, not I the, know. Fair enough. But it's just not that likely. Yeah. Uh, I, I would have thought, really. Not uh, the wholesome the yeah. musical, not the wholesome no. musical theatre kids. No, I, not them. <laughs> you kind of, you know... They'd be more inclined do to attack you, with songs. Yeah, think, two musical people having a way. fight would be actually quite entertaining, yeah. really. Rather I say than bring that. Trying to be macho. Come on, Tony. Yeah. No, you, you hit me. I hate you. <laughs> uh, right, okay. You are listening to the Moncrief Show and News Talk. We're going to take a break. One more movie, one more film after this. Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. There you go. Congratulations to Lisa uh, Barry being all happy for while pitching for work at the same time. Uh, So uh, let's move on to our uh, red wine uh, today, Linda. Um, Well, before we do, I just wanted to say someone tweeted in what's the name of the wine. So it is Famille Lafage Miraflor. M-A-R-A-F-L-O-R-S and um, you can get it in Magnum and it's available in quite a few. I've just tweeted it but in Martins, in Fairview, Bagot Street Wines, Judevan in Port Marnock, Sweeney's, Devonies, Wine Online's, Pinto Wines and lots more um, independent. So widely available and they some of the shops have actually cool displays of it as well. Yeah, so, okay, so. great. Well done. Okay, so the red is a wine called Evodia which means fragrant in Greek. Um, and uh, if you swirl it around and smell it, well, it's quite fragrant, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so what I love about this uh, particular wine, so it's Garnacha, same grape, but in Spain it is um, called Garnacha. So you can get a lot of Riojas, uh, Riojas uh, with Garnacha. So if you're paying, this is a lesser known region called Cala. Tayud, Calatayud, so right, lesser okay. known, um, kind of dry area for vineyards where uh, old vines thrive. So this is basically um, vines that are planted up to 100 years 
old and you get more complex concentrated flavours. So Jean-Marc uh, Lafage, um, seven generation family winemaking and he just loves the Grenache grape and this is where he excels. 2,400 to 3,000 feet above sea level so you get just sophisticated wines at this kind of I just adore it. Absolutely gorgeous. So very perfumed. But so that would be would that be a bit like another way in in Argentina a lot of wines because exactly. they're at that, at that altitude yeah. so, as well. Because people think Spain is you know it's it's quite a mountainous country. Like mm. there's mountains everywhere, and uh, you know that's what you get when you get up higher. You get higher altitude, and you get more sophisticated. You get more fresher wines and all that. So this is so delicious. Um, it is 14.5% alcohol. There's darker berry fruits going on here, but it's it's still really, really easy to drink. Um, I love what it says in the back of the label. It's so funny. Um, uh, extract pour, cork, pour in glass, optional. <laughs> right, drink. OK. It's rare enough you see instructions on a bottle of wine, actually, really. <laughs> it's really, really funny. Um, but I, I think this is a really good value wine. So this is about 16 euro. That's okay. what I paid for it. And um, I, I just think it, it's really fresh, but it's a quite expressive as well. Um, mm. You would kind of want some food with it, ideally. Um, yeah. Maybe little bits of um, charcuterie and stuff or stews in the wintertime. It's absolutely gorgeous. So Grenache. Yeah, I know. Should have brought it in for you. Sorry. Yeah. Next time. <laughs> Do you know Next when somebody time. says something, you feel like it instantly. <laughs> Here's a cheese board. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, Grenache, people probably best know it from Southern Rhone, where Chateauneuf de Pape is from. So mm. it's just different expressions of the grape. And I think, you know, let people try the different grape from different regions. So, you know, and just explore it. And the thing is, you can have the same grape and it can taste wildly different yeah. depending on the iteration. Absolutely, a lot of the time. yeah. Any uh, indication why it has a Greek name, given that it's a Spanish wine? Well, no, it's I was just looking up Vodian. It said fragrant. And yeah. just, I don't know. <laughs> <Okay>. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> Your man was just being pretentious, yeah, really. That's, uh, that's all it was. That's a lovely Did wine. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, yeah. that's really and delicious. And soft and actually, it's what, 15, 16 quid? That's 16 not too bad. Quid, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's not too bad at all. Yeah. Uh, and we will, uh, I'm, Linda's already actually, I think, uh, uh, tweeted uh, the name of both those uh, wines today. Uh, the hashtags back sat and crack movies strictly ballgroom being one example. <laughs> Very clever. Uh, so we do have uh, now, I don't know why, mm. but. Uh, um, like there's a fine on uh, on the movie Russ. People know, you know, uh, terribly sad that uh, somebody was uh, shot and killed on that. It seemed to be an accident. But there's was there a set of fines you can get for that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, Anula? this seems to be the highest one you can get in that state in New Mexico. Um, so basically there was a report found, uh, a report filed on the incident. As you said, cinematographer Helena Hutchins was shot on the set for the movie Rust uh, by Alec Baldwin. Um, and they basically, the report has basically said that the onus is on the production company and they've been fined uh, $136,000. They basically said that uh, they knew that firearm safety procedures were not being followed on set, uh, demonstrated plain indifference to employee safety, um, just basically like that there are clear guidelines and they were absolutely not followed. Um, I suppose it's just interesting, and maybe interesting is the wrong word to use, but uh, her widow currently has a lawsuit filed, uh, Matt Hutchins currently has a lawsuit filed against Baldwin, but his team are basically saying that this report essentially exonerates him from mm, wrongdoing yeah. from the incident. So, again, interesting is the wrong word to use, but like this isn't the end of it. Like it would be interesting to see how it does play out with yeah. regards to the rest of the but cases. Give, give, given like they, they've been issued with one hundred and thirty-six thousand um, 
fine, which I assume isn't much in. I, I don't know what the budget on this film is, but this is a per, you know human being's life. Yeah, that's the value they put on. That's it. the thing. It's it's grim when you read it and when you put it down to that. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, Not great. Because, you know, they are kind of uh, responsible for that. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, while we're on the subject, uh, Robert Morse uh, has died. Uh, well, I suppose you need to remind people who Robert Morse was, actually, because he's probably, oh, that guy kind yes. of thing. Um, Broadway star. We were obviously talking about the Tonys there. And more recently, people might remember him as Bertram Cooper in Mad Men. Um, but he's been in like a, like a prolific voice actor as well. Uh, he was in People vs. OJ as well very recently. A Guide for the Married Man. Uh, I'm feeling so sad with the Darth Day. Like it's like such a vast uh, array of work that he's left behind. So sad news. Yeah, uh, indeed. But again, he's in that category of oh yeah, I know who that. Yeah, you uh, definitely one. It's like oh yeah, I know him to see. Yeah, 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 indeed. Right, and and uh, and uh, great news for I don't know. Is it news at all? Uh, Fast and Furious Ten has got a title. Why can't they just call it Fast and Furious Ten? Because of course they can't. Uh, it's Fast X, Vin Diesel confirmed this week. Um, that means 10 if you're Roman. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's in production uh, out May 19th, 20, uh, 2023. I just want them to keep making these up until like Fast 30 and I want it to be 30 flirty and driving. Like okay. just let it go all as far right. as you that. Can, you, and can, then... you can pitch on that one. Vin, go for it. hello, I'm Whether free. they're all in, in, in <laughs> a, a, a supercharged uh, wheelchairs yeah. are racing against each other. I would watch that. That yeah. sounds interesting. Uh, any indication what this what this movie is about? Um, no, but... <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Um, um, Brie Larson's going to be in it. Oscar winner Brie Larson. So, right. Yeah. Okay. She's joined the fast fam in inverted commas as is they she, call is it. Is she so. like really stuck for work? She must be, yeah. She, she's just off the back of quitting a YouTube channel. So yeah, I would say so, yeah. But she won an Oscar. Well, I would have thought oh, like that'd get you a few, you know, supermarket openings. Yeah, and that you thing, would you think. Know? Yeah, and she's a Marvel person for a while, but no, no. Ah, oh, that's a shame. Yeah, she's good. But sure, isn't it good of him to give her a bit of work? Then you know. Well, I suppose it is. And what happened with her YouTube channel? She just stopped doing it. I think it was a pandemic thing, and then decided actually, uh, you know what? And what was she doing in her YouTube channel? She kind of had other celebrities come in, and she'd be playing video games or like cooking or like doing challenges. Riveting kind of, content. Like everybody does that. Pretty now. much, yeah. yeah. Pretty, I'm pretty much describing social media yeah. right now. Okay. But then again, at the same time, kind of has, would you say, it's like Fast and Furious over the many years it's been in existence has kind of almost generated a bit of, I don't know if respect is too much a word, but kind of fondness. I, th- I think there was some, well, I will say Fast, the fifth movie is genuinely like excellent. Very, very good. I'm not sure if yeah. Esther will agree or share that opinion. But, but one, um, of them's a, one of them's a prequel and actually works well as a prequel. E, e, yes, yeah. I th- oh, I could, I don't, 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 don't bring me the into the timeline yeah. of the Fast and Furious yeah. world because that's too complicated. Yeah. But yeah, like it has, it's one of those movies and one of kind of the long-standing blockbuster series, I suppose, that it's just like, you know exactly what you're getting. You know the cast. You know the characters if you followed them in any way. So I think mm. there's that kind of familiarity as well, maybe. I and, don't know. And are all the, like The Rock and all these people still in there? So I think there was some issue with The Rock and Vin Diesel that they were fighting a bit because I know mm. Vin was on Instagram recently kind of begging him to come back to the, again, the Fast family. Right. So I think there was a bit of an argy-bargy okay, there. Was The Rock in, uh, having a huff? It could have been, yeah. It's God, like it's two, typical rock. Yeah, it's yeah. just he's so, flat out. Like, he's so come on, Dwayne, don't do it to the Fast family. Linda, are you tempted to join the Fast family? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> These cars are driving and you could put on one to ten. I wouldn't know the difference between them, no. No, in the no. Mo- one of the more recent ones, I'm pretty sure there's just a motorway and it kind of, go. it either goes into space or goes across water. Or a something motorway they, into space? They pull off the heist or something somewhere, I don't know, but... 
Yeah. Right. No. There you go. Okay, motorway into space. I, I checked that one out. Uh, uh, right, okay, well, we'll go on to our second movie. Uh, it doesn't feature a motorway into space, unfortunately. It is happening. It is in French, so you'll all understand exactly what happens in this clip. C'était bien? Je sais pas. Allez, raconte. T'aimais bien faire l'amour avec lui? Ça ne te regarde pas. Franchement, j'aurais jamais pensé que. T'as eu des histoires comme ça. Une histoire. Oh, une histoire. Uh, we'd like to apologise for all that bad language as News Talk would like to distance themselves from uh, the sentiments contained in that uh, clip, just in case. Uh, right, just but what's it about, Esther? It's about this young woman. She's, um, it's 1963 in France, a good decade before um, any abortion laws uh, become uh, come into place. And she is she's a working class girl. She's in uh, her name is Anne. She's in a city university, a city college with a view to getting into university. Um, reading French and, or English and philosophy and, you know, very determined to kind of better her life and, and, and live a better life for herself. I'm very aware of the importance of that to her life. Um, so when she um, has a, a fling, I suppose, with a, an old school friend, um, and f- she finds out she's pregnant. Uh, she's, you know, very much of the view from the outset um, that she wants to end the pregnancy. Um, goes to a local GP. And the interesting thing about the language of this, I don't even know was the word abortion, abortion ever used in the film. Like she is going around the garden in terms of the contacts she's trying to access and the people she's trying to get to help her um, because it is so strictly forbidden and highly criminalised, I suppose, that she dare not even speak its name. Mm. Um, and it is really, really good. This It's really powerful because it is... A look now. There were two or three really graphic and shocking scenes. I have to tell people that um, it earns its eighteen cert. This one, uh, but they're brief. Uh, it never felt like it was, you know, being overdone by the filmmakers. Um, they're brief and they need to be there and they're relevant to the story. But for the most part, this is a drama about um, a young girl who's navigating uh, becoming pregnant in a time that it's an absolute strict no-no. And how her peers begin to kind of shun her and shame her when the rumours of her pregnancy first come about. Um, And the fact that the stress of concealing her pregnancy from everyone are badly impacting on her college performance and jeopardising her grades. So while abortion is very much a part of the story, I wouldn't call it the abortion movie, if Mm. that makes sense. Yeah, it's about attitudes and stuff. Yeah, Yeah. it's about attitudes. It's about um, self-determination, I think, for a young female character and it's about um you know wanting to take matters into her own hands it's directed by audrey g1 as i said um the golden line winner at venice but also from a very acclaimed kind of part novella uh part memoir by a writer by the name of annie erno who wrote about her own experiences of pregnancy in 1960s france um it's not an easy watch in the last half hour, mm. but it feels really relevant and pertinent. And I think they've one, made one really clever um, call here. 
production designers anyway, whether it be hair, makeup or, you know, dress and sets or costume will always tell you that you shouldn't make a period look too much of its period because not everyone went around in Mary Quant's dresses yes, in the yeah. 1960s, you know, and it can look over the top. But what I think they've done here is they've really softened and pared that back. And this feels almost like a contemporary film. You have to remind yourself that it's set nearly 60 years ago. And I think that makes it very powerful and pertinent and relevant mm. to the same story women face today. Um, it, well, I really would, liked it for that. Would women face that story in, in contemporary France, I wonder? In contemporary France, no, but like you look at the States, look what's happened in Poland in the last yeah, year. Okay. You know, yeah. there is a new um, railing against, um, you know, this issue, I think, in certain, uh, you know, uh, with the growth of more conservative um, politics in certain countries, I think that that's coming into place. And I think by not making this a period film, it's not only a great film in its own right, but very kind of of now, I think. Yeah, the framing. That is interesting. Yeah. Uh, Esther, that's uh, uh, that, that uh, the name of that film is, what's it called again? Happening. Happening. And uh, uh, not The Happening, just Happening. Happening, yeah, yeah, no, the okay, that's uh, yeah, actually that does sound uh, very interesting. Uh, yeah, thanks a million. The young lead in it is brilliant, yeah, She's brilliant in it. Okay, uh, thanks a million, Esther. Thanks, of course, also to uh, Fanula and Linda. Uh, finally, just on the subject of uh, Fast and Furious uh, 10, uh, someone has, uh, has texted in um, an alternative suggestion for the title. Why can they not call it Fast 10? Your seatbelts. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay, uh, you enjoy that. All uh, right, that's our lot uh, for today. Our production team today, Sean Reedy, Ashling Moore, Simon Tierney and Michael Quilligan. Kieran's up next on The Hard Shoulder. We'll talk to you on Monday at 2. Have a lovely weekend. Movies and booze. I'm Moncrief on Newstalk.